What's up, everybody? Happy fucking Wednesday. It's fucking hump day. Uh, it's bright and early at 7 a.m. or 4 a.m., wherever you're listening here on Rock Rage Radio, and then later in the evening on Tattoo Metal Radio and everywhere fucking podcasts are found. Welcome to a hump day edition of the show. Guys, it's going to be a fucking fun one tonight. So let's go ahead and just get into it because some shit is going down. So let's go ahead and have some fun. Let's go ahead and hit that intro right now and let's get right the fuck into it. In life and in music, there is always a dark side. Whether the truth is something you don't want to tell or something somebody doesn't want to hear. These are those stories. The Black Rose Media proudly presents the dark side of music. Welcome, everybody, to the dark side of music. I am the great and powerful king of kings, emperor of all that is awesome, Derek. How the hell are you doing today on this beautiful March 9th of the year that is 2020 part two? Woo, hump day. Weekend's almost here. It's been a fucking busy week already, and uh, I'm ready for the weekend. I am ready to just get this shit done. But you know what? We still got a bunch of stuff going on this week. Um, like I said, tomorrow will be a rerun, um, because I'm going in for a sleep study on tonight, or Wednesday night, whatever you want to call it, because it's actually today's Tuesday for me, but, uh, Wednesday I'm going in for a sleep study, so I'm not recording tomorrow, so Thursday you're going to get a rerun, and then Friday we'll be back with the Matt Irie Band, and then Monday we got Lena Scissorhands of Infected Rain and a bunch of cool shit starting next week, so lots of good stuff happening, so just kind of stick around and get ready for that because we got the uh, we got the uh, aftershock promotion. We got the welcome to Rockville promotional stuff, and Blue Ridge is starting to announce bands. So Blue Ridge Rockfest uh, media stuff is going to start kicking off here soon too. So those are the three um, that I know I'm doing, and possibly a fourth um, festival that I'm covering this year as well. So we'll see what happens. But those three are set. So let's kind of get those going. Lots of bands coming from those festivals, so we'll see. All right. So, tonight, tonight, tonight. This is an interview I have wanted for a long time. And I am so stoked to have the gentleman I have on with me. Um, you may call him controversial. You may call him canceled. You may call him whatever you want to call him. But the truth of the matter is, he's a great musician. Wrote some fantastic songs. And has been very, very high pro- profile and you know, over the last year for a lot of different reasons. Whether you agree with him or not, the man is a badass. So let's go ahead and get ready to talk to the lone wolf, Tommy Vexed. But first, before we do that, we're going to go ahead and play his newest single, Trust the Science, featuring Topher. So here we go. Here is Trust the Science by the lone wolf. Tommy Vexed. Or not, because Amazon just crashed on me. Let's try it again. Trust the science, but you 
is fake. Eight hundred thousand to the Wuhan labs. Another four mil with the study and facts. Doc said it himself, ain't no point in the match. But a man top facts when I ask. Just trust the Trust the Science by the Lone Wolf, Tommy Vexed, featuring Topher. And let's go ahead and bring the man on himself and have a nice conversation. So welcome to the show, Tommy Vexed. What's up, Derek, his imperial majesty? <laughs> I liked your intro for yourself. I was like, yo, this is a hard intro. I was like, man, it's, you may be the Kanye West of metal DJ show hosts. Uh, you know, the thing about it is that is... I I don't know if I should take that as a compliment, but fuck Kanye. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I watched. Have you seen the Netflix documentary on him? You know, I have avoided it like the plague, but I it's there, and I just like it, I. It has given me a completely new perspective on the guy. Really, and it's it's interesting as somebody like myself who has been, you know, um, there's been narratives created about who I am and what I am like, you know as a result of me kind of talking about my uh, political beliefs or just questioning certain narratives, um, you know, how I was portrayed versus how I was portrayed by the media prior to ever saying anything in 2020 uh, that was political. And then to see who, who like this documentary actually does a really good job because they started filming it like 30 years ago. And so it's really watches his journey of who he actually is and, his relationship with his mom and like how he really it really fucking busted his ass like he's he's actually um it, it makes sense why he's so eccentric and so weird yeah um which is also kind of can be annoying right because the way they they kind of tilt the lens on him um because i used to not like him i liked his music and i was like fuck this guy and uh it was because the way that I, he was being portrayed so it's very interesting to watch it's it's a uh, I've only three parts of the series are out yet, but I actually recommend having an open mind and taking a look. Cause I was like quite surprised. Well, for me, it comes down to I'm bipolar as well. And I know he is as well. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he's portrayed um, that illness, that diagnosis in a, in a positive way. I think he's taken it to another level and definitely has made it seem more negative than it really is. But one of the things that kind of got me for him was back in 2020, I believe it was, I was watching that new series of David Letterman on Netflix and mm. he was interviewing Kim and they were, to, and obviously they were still together at the time. And he was in the, the crowd with uh, the rest of the Kardashians and he was wearing a hoodie with sunglasses on and the hood was up. And Kim was up on stage talking to Dave about 
the um, the time that they were robbed in Paris, if I remember correctly. And yeah, she yeah, started breaking she started breaking down in tears and was you can see she was shaking, reliving that moment. And he just sat there stoic, didn't even react. Like if that was my wife up there, I would have at least reacted or felt bad for her. But I just saw nothing. I just saw a stone, you know, stone cold look on his face. And I was very, very taken back by that. And I've never been a fan of the man to begin with, but that right there, and plus all the stuff, like I said, with the you know him being bipolar and just talking about how oh this is me without the meds and blah 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 blah, just kind of has well, that, turned me off. It's interesting because that the entire story is a lie. What do you mean? And that the insurance that that she took out on the jewelry that allegedly was stolen, all, like a lot of people on the inside in Hollywood know that that whole thing was just a fucking insurance scam and really? an attention. Yeah, so I mean, I, again, bro, like you know, I'm somebody who like I, I've kind of been on the inside. We we can get into that later, but sober coaching and working with a lot of high profile celebrities, you know, you learn, you know, like real deal shit about what you know what is public and what people are offered, and what actually really happens. Interesting. See, I was not yeah. aware of that. I was not aware of that. That's interesting. No, most people are not aware. I mean, I think it's like, that's one of the major issues. Um, you know, and again, I lived in LA and Hollywood for 16 years. You know what I mean? Like I had an ex-fiance who was a, a survivor of a victim of child trafficking. Like I've worked with and lived with people like Justin Bieber, helping them get sober. Like I've been around and it's not, it's, it's dark business. Like there's a lot of fucking really wonky, weird shit. You know what I mean? And if you talk against it or talk about it or expose it, like, they go in on you. Well, I mean, look at Corey Feldman. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. prime example of that shit right there. Well, I mean, look how they made him look like a complete insane person. They did. You know? And I mean, they do that to everybody. I mean, Corey, um, Macaulay Culkin, you know, another, another, you know, child actor turned heroin addict. You know, they, they threaten you if you say anything. I'm trying to turn my uh, notifications. Ah, uh, there it goes. I don't know if you were hearing the beeps, but. As soon as I got on, everybody decided they would text me. I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Nobody texts me all day. And as soon as I get on the show, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's see what Tommy's doing. You know, that is very typical of my show for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, it happens all the time. But um, one of the things that I've always admired about you um, is your work with sober people and you know helping you know that and working helping people with addictions and stuff like that that is mm-hmm. one of the because i know you struggle with addiction yourself in the past um oh, yeah. and that's uh 13 years i've been clean yeah and that's and that right there in itself is amazing um and to go out of your way to help other people like that is is so touching i remember um I saw you guys back in, I believe it was 2018, um, mm-hmm. in, Nor- in Northern Virginia. It was on the uh, um, Breaking Benjamin um, tour. With, oh, with Five Finger. With Five Finger and Nothing More. No- nothing More, yeah, yeah. Yes. That was a really cool tour, yeah. Yeah, and um, one of the things that really got to me was Ivan came up on stage that night, and he was talking about his struggles, and he was talking about the, the fact that he almost died and so on and so forth, and... Um, when our community feels somebody else's pain, and I mean the metal community, we reach out beyond, uh, you know, everything else to make sure that we're, you know, our brothers and sisters in this metal community are taken care of. And I think that is so beautiful. So like, whether it's Ivan Moody or whether it's somebody else, you know, I, I love the fact that you've been a part of doing that kind of stuff because it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, in recovery, there's a saying that we can't keep it if we don't give it away, you know, and so I I kind of, um, you know, I've been around for a while, I actually got sober because Sonny from Snot, when I was singing in Snot, he's been sober seven years longer than me, he just turned 20 years sober, Um, but he, you know, I I was like a homeless drug addict, and he took me in and, and, you know, helped me get integrated into the recovery community, and, and, you know, obviously I flourished from it, and so yeah, I've just kind of been around, you know, I've been there when, you know, I've been there when Jacoby was newly sober, you know, and I've been, 
there, you know, when Randy from Lamb of God was arrested in Prague and he was only, you know, a year sober, a year and change. And um, I called up every sober musician I knew and, you know, got everybody on an email chain and the email chain actually is still going. And two of the guys from that started Rock to Recovery. And then there was, an, I, I actually started another nonprofit organization called SFG 12 based on that. And, you know, I think that it's like, I think that um, these are the kind of situations where like, no matter what's going on, when people need help, you know, we, sh we show up, you know, I've been, I've been in festivals, you know, playing in, you know, grass pop in Belgium and the, all the bands are there and all the sober people are like texting each other. Like, where are you? Like, oh, okay, like, let's, let's get, you know, let's all get together and talk, you know, and, and then everyone kind of goes around the circle and we get to share, you know, cause for the most part, you know, I like myself, like in bad Wolves, I was the only sober person, you know? And so it's, um, it can feel very isolating when the way that people want to celebrate is to use drugs and alcohol. Um, and my way of celebrating is to like, make sure I get a good night's sleep so I could be up in the gym early and then jump on a Zoom meeting, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like a dork, like, you know what I mean? And it is, a, it can be a really toxic environment for the lonely, sober, you know, person on the tour bus. And it, it can cause resentments and stuff. And so, and that's all stuff that, you know, when we all get together, we kind of dump it out in the middle of the room and work it out and try to get back to compassion. And, um, you know, and so I'm just very, like, very grateful that, you know, I've gotten to be, you know, I've, I've gotten to be on tours where, um, you know, there's meetings every day and everyone's like, after the show, you know, we're all going to meet up at 1130 and it's going to be in this dressing room. And then everyone knows not to come in there. And I've been on multiple tours where we set up these things and crew members or band members or people who had serious, serious problems got sober just from coming to those every day, you know? And I've seen guys, I've played festivals um, and I've watched bands come off stage and they're like, hey, you know, I, I had a guy in a, a band that I really, really love tell me that like, I, I chaired a meeting and I told my story and that, that was the first time we had ever met and he never drank again. And I forgot. And five years later, we're in like Milwaukee on side stage. And he's like, just decided to tell me, I'm like, wow, this is like, this is the miracle of recovery, you know, and what happens when we help each other. So. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with you on that. You know, um, alcoholism has run in my family for shit generations. You know, my dad suffered, um, from alcoholism. My brother suffered mm -hmm. from alcoholism. Um, sure. and I've always, you know, been afraid of it. Um, I still drink. However, I drink very much in moderation and I drink and I find ways to just enjoy it. I get a little bougie with it. Like I'm only a beer guy. So I like to pair my beers with desserts or pair my beers with this and I'll have one or two and then I'm done. And I haven't had a beer in like a week or you know, a week or two. And I'm like, I don't need another beer, but when I eat something mm -hmm. special, I'll like have one. And that's how I've kind of coped with it. Like, you know, I, if I don't drink to get drunk, I just drink for the flavor of it just to have a good beer or with a good meal, then I'm happy. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to be able to say that. There's tons of people that have one and then they have another and then it can't stop. And that's, that's part of the addiction process. So I'm very lucky um, to where I can say that, but I know a lot of people aren't. And when, mm -hmm. when you have that type of support system, whether it be yourself or somebody else, that is a, a huge thing that you, everybody needs. And there's always somebody out there willing to help if you're willing to look for it. Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, what you said that those are kind of the defining terms. Like I think every alcoholic and addict at some point in their drinking career, we lose the, we lose the, 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 um, we lose choice. So what happens is, is that they say the man takes a drink and then the next drink takes the man and then he's off to the races, you know, and that's kind of how it works. And so, you know, I think getting educated is very important, but also, you know, engaging in 12-step programs where you're actively working on, um, you know, taking your own stuff, putting it out, exposing it, working through it with a sponsor, and then coming to a solution, and then you pass it on to somebody else. You know, like we say, there's like no, there's no bosses in recovery. There's just like one homeless guy showing another homeless guy where the bread is, you know, and that's, I think that that's a, a good way for everybody 
you know, whether any kind of altruism, whether it's, you know, you're, you're doing work, volunteer work with the homeless or, you know, you're raising money for charities or whatever it is um, in any altruism. It's just about doing the work and staying out of the results and, and you know, doing things that are selfless, not expecting anything in return. Um, and I'm, I think that's like a big, um, I think the energy of that is very karmic. And I think it's very healing. And I think that's part of why we're on this planet is we're actually supposed to, you know, be purveyors of truth and help and, um, and service, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to bring this up first because honestly, this is one of your, in my opinions, one of your biggest, um, positive character traits, you know, this right here, the fact that you just want to help people through addiction um, and just, you know, you've dedicated a lot of your life to this. And because again, like you were saying before the inter- at the beginning of this interview, you have been portrayed in a negative light and you're, you're no stranger to controversy, you know, whether it's, whether it's the stuff that happened with Nicole, we're not going to go into that or whether it's the stuff that happened, you know, with, you know, the, the former band or whether it's, you know, other stuff like that, or, you know, the, uh, the restraining order stuff, whatever the case might be, there's been a lot of negative stuff around you, especially in the last two years, but you know, but that's not all there is to you. And you've gotten a lot of hate from, you have to, it's, I'm happy to, to talk about all this thing. Like there are multiple. So the problem is again, with the tilt of the media is that what the media did not, you know, first of all, like Nicole Arbor is on the losing end of a, of a defamation lawsuit against me and five of her exes for almost seven figures, which she goes into court on Friday. Uh, and all, both of her attorneys, she has had two separate law firms abandon her. Um, and Nicole Arbor is, a, she's a, a con artist. So she's been scamming people for NFTs. She had borrowed money from me. Then she accused Ryan Upchurch of this. And, accuse everybody of that and she never really you know i think that nicole is a brilliant comedian but she's desperately in need of severe severe mental health um help you know so that's that's one thing and that's like whatever um but with the you know the restraining order situation it was like i was in a relationship where you know i came home from tour to find out that my partner was cheating on me with a celebrity and i just i moved out correct and i wouldn't take her back and she began stalking me and harassing the girls I was dating after her. And, you know, ultimately she tried to get me arrested. She called the police and said I committed suicide. It was like a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, in that situation, you know, she was, she was doing illegal things too, and she didn't want me to expose her. So the best thing that she could do was she first tried to, you know, um, you know, I guess, take away my credibility. So she tried to discredit me with these false allegations. And these allegations were, were, I was exonerated of. Literally in criminal court, the DA said there was absolutely not, not one piece of evidence that there was any domestic violence. And then when she tried to take me to civil court, the same thing happened, mm-hmm. you know? And so I have an online bullying restraining order. That's literally what it is because I posted, um, because after 10 months of being harassed, I posted uh, I posted things that were damaging to her career because she was moonlighting doing illegal activities. And so in the state of California, you know, you, like you could spit on me and I can get a restraining order against you. They write them out like parking tickets. And instead of the media reporting what really happened, they they just they didn't mention any of it because they had a vested interest because I voiced my support for the Republican party mm-hmm. um, out of a la- out of a complete lack of options, because obviously look where we are now. I knew where this was going um, because I'm a politically educated person. And they just decided that they, because I didn't believe what they believed instead of reporting the whole story of the truth, they would just lambaste me and try to destroy my career. You know, and so, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm just like, you know, I've had, I've had like 35 women come out to my defense publicly. Yeah. And, and that part is the part that's not really talked about. You know, you Google your name, 
you know, the first thing you see is, you know, your separation from bad wolves, and then you see the restraining order stuff. You have to go way down to find all this other stuff that exists because the people don't care about that stuff. And well, that's what that's the that's what cancel culture is. Is a, it's a civil form of crucifixion, you know. And it's like if you look at my entire like before I made any criticisms of the Democratic Party or their policy, I was like a saint. You know what I mean? Tommy Vex gives a quarter of a million dollars to Dolores O'Riordan's children. Tommy Vex donates $10,000 to Rock to Recovery. Tommy Vex is awarded Person of the Year, Rock to Recovery. Uh, Tommy Vex, you know, donates tens of thousands of dollars to police who were shot on and almost killed on the job in the Compton ambush shooting. Like, and it just goes on and on. Like, I literally spent hundreds of dollars on brooms and garbage bags to clean up the riots in LA and went by my, with like, I went with a bunch of my friends and I lit of my own volition and clean, like, because that's who I am. And so, you know, we have this kind of culture where if somebody, you know, the, I think the hate for Trump was so well manufactured and to be, to give credit to the opposition, his personality is like a cactus, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, you know, the guy did not do, you know, um, he just was not, we went from having, Obama was a cool president. His foreign policy was atrocious. I think Obamacare was a disaster. Those are my personal opinions, you know, but he was cool and he was presidential and he was diplomatic and he kept shit cool. So people could remain asleep. Trump is a bull in a china shop. You can't not pay attention to him. And part of that problem is, is that it, you know, it was very easy to make it about his personality rather than his policy. So now we have a whole, we had a whole four years of the media all going, oh, Trump, 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 terrifying everybody with Trump. And nobody really did any investigation into the Biden family or what they've done or who they are as people or their history. You know, and I knew all that stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm not some like right wing conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, politically, I believe that there are certain things that are conservatism that I believe people should be responsible for themselves. I don't believe in socialism, um, but also I I believe that women should have a right to their own their body, their choice. You know, and we've lost this ability in this country for people to be like in the middle where are the moderates like well i feel like this because this and i feel i agree with this and i don't agree with that you know and that's I'm the moderate. problem yeah but then that's the problem is like over the past couple of years if you if you say anything that's liberal the conservatives talk shit if you say anything conservative the liberals talk shit and at, it's at the point where um we're losing individualism and this tribal, this tribalism, it only serves the elites. It only serves the richest of the rich people mm -hmm. because they make more money when we don't like each other, when people think that their enemy is their neighbor, when our neighbors are our family, you know? And so, you know, it's like, there's been over the past couple of years, a lot of indemnification. Like I was, uh, I was just on a podcast with Hawk Newsom, who he and his sister are the founders of Black Lives Matter. In 2020, I did a video exposing Black Lives Matter, the corporation, which is separate from the people who started the movement, which was a necessary movement to improve the Black community and raise awareness uh, with police brutality and the way that the police were interacting with the Black community. Mm -hmm. You know, and as I support law enforcement, but it's, it, you know, case by case, Things, you know, there's no sweeping generalization and all these things need to be looked at with critical thinking so we can have critical solutions. And so I was on this podcast and, you know, I, dude, me and this guy, we want to get along great. We agree on a lot of the same things. And, you know, he was like, oh, you're, he was like, you're, you know, you were the marker guy. He was like, you were right. He was like, they stole all the money. You know, so you have the you have the actual activists from Black Lives Matter now acknowledging and upset with the Democrats for, you know, what I said was going to happen two years ago. And then I had, you know, everybody tried to chew my ass off over it. And so I think that's the problem when you're kind of a critical thinking person and you're in a, you investigate things and it's on both sides, 
You know, I like I look at the Republican Party and I'm like, dude, Lindsey Graham is a nightmare. This guy literally just called for, you know, Putin's assassination from someone in his own cabinet. Like that's a powerful politician. Now, the ramifications of that won't fall on a politician's head. But if anything happens to Putin, they might immediately think that we had something to do with it. Yeah. Even if we didn't. And then who's going to pay the price? Our soldiers. Yeah our brothers and sisters. And so you have people in the, in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party completely irresponsible and no one's being held accountable. And so when I say stuff, everyone, and like people get mad at you and I'm, I'm like, it's, be, it's bewildering to me that truth causes so much um, disruption. And but, well, we're living, in a, we're living in a time where like lies are literally all we have. You know, and so it's hard to trust to know what's right. And, um, you know, and then people like me or are very, very dangerous if there's an agenda, you know, and so they want to silence people like me. So it's easy to just be like, oh, he's a fucking Trump fucking Barack Obama. Like I voted for Obama twice, bro. Like, you know, (laughs) I was like, we're we're this is a free country. We're supposed to be able to switch parties. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I 100% agree with you on that. And we're going to dive more into that. But first, I want to go ahead and play another song. Um, a song that may people might not have heard from you. It's a cover song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a song that is a, definitely a different side of you. And I am definitely excited to, for the people to hear this. So here is your cover of Take Me to Church. All right, so let's go ahead and get this up here. And we're going to go ahead and play Take Me to Church by Tommy Vext. Once I get it fixed. My love has got humor. She's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. Should have worshipped her sooner. If the heavens ever did speak, she's the last true mouthpiece. Every sun is getting more bleak. Fresh poison each week. We were born sick. You heard them say it. My church offers no absolutes. She tells me worship in the bedroom. Only heaven I be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. Amen. 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 Take me to church. I worship like a dog and destroy your lies. I'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your knife. But for me, let's stand up for good God. Let me Yeah. 
that was Tommy Vexed with his cover of Take Me to Church. All right, let's go ahead and get Tommy back on and have some more fun with this conversation. Unmuted. All right, sir. Man, that is a beautiful rendition, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was uh, bored in, during quarantine. Yeah, you were really bored during quarantine, man. Your your fucking Instagram was filled with those types of covers and shit. It was uh it was yeah, it was did, fun to see what you were doing. Yeah, I did twenty two covers and um twenty seven originals or something like that during quarantine. So let's go ahead and go back into this for a second here, just because I wanna Wrap this up before we go into what's going on with Tommy Vex in the future here. Um, you said a lot there right before we went to break. So let me go ahead and go into a couple of different things. Um, number one, cancel culture. Um, mm. I despise it. Um, I think it is some of the biggest bullshit out there. Um, you know, one of my biggest problems with it is, say for instance, something you said 10, 15 years ago you know, comes to light and, you know, then they, everyone tries to cancel you for it. Well, the problem with that is this, aren't we allowed to evolve as human beings? My opinion, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, isn't the, probably the same as it, well, as it is today. So mm -hmm. granted, yes, I said it back then and I probably am, should be wrong for saying that. However, at the same time, how do you know I haven't learned from that? It's like, um, the James well, Gunn situation of... from a couple years ago with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. He had already mm -hmm. apologized and publicly said, hey, I am so sorry I said this. I don't mean that. It was a joke or I've learned from my lesson and so on and so forth. But people still didn't care. And then eventually, because of all the outcry of people saying, hey, um, you know, look at, you know, obviously he's doing good things now. And obviously he doesn't feel that way anymore. Do we really need to cancel this guy? And he ended up getting his job back. And now he's one of the biggest directors in the world. So it's 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 that's a huge issue right now. I agree with you on that. Well, it's it's selective outrage, right? Like, why do you know, uh, you know, why is Whoopi Goldberg allowed to say that the Holocaust doesn't matter because it's just white people killing white people, and she gets to keep her job? That's absolutely insane. That's absolutely insane to say, you know. And people are like, oh, it's Whoopi Goldberg, you know? It's like, no, like, that's not okay, you know? You, or you have people like Hunter Biden who just, I mean, you know, you the president's son smokes crack and has sex with minors and it's documented and it's all over the internet and you literally, no no problem. Nobody has anything to say about it, you know? Um, and so it's, you, you can see the bias because cancel culture is not truly about morality it's about uh, it's about punishment, you know. It's like, oh, you don't think like we think, or you ever had a thought or ever this, we're gonna destroy you. And it literally is just like it's pathetic because it's like toxic femininity. There's nothing masculine about it, right? Because it's like Mean Girls, you know. It's like the Mean Girls, like oh, look at you, you did this, you did that. we're gonna fucking yeah. do this, um, and it and it gives people who have no power over their own lives to. You know, the people who engage in, in cancel culture are not winning. These are not people who are fulfilled. Their hearts are not full. They're not community builders. They don't have power. And unfortunately, I think even in rock and metal, I what I've watched happen over the years, you know, because again, I'm, I'm going to be 40 and I grew up going to see bands like Pantera. I've seen Korn in their first tours. I've seen Slipknot in their first tours. Um, I grew up going to see Biohazard in small shitty clubs with Typo Negative and Life of Agony. And I've seen In Flames play in front of 150 kids in New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I've been around. Um, I, you know, I was there. You know, I helped when Metal Injection first started. I helped Rob and Frank sneak cameras into Ozfest in drum bags that I stole from, God forbid, Doxel Band to get the cameras in so they could get the interviews. You know, like, I've been around. I've been around for a long time and and unfortunately within our community it's whether people want are ready to admit this or not jealousy has become the like the most poisonous part of the metal community where the online metal community is 
you know, I was in Divine Heresy. I made one of the most prolific melodic death metal records in American history. And I don't say that because I did it. I said it because, I say this because, sorry, I got a call. Um, I say this yeah. because I worked with Tim Young at, from Morbid Angel and Joe Payne of Nile and Dino Kazar as a Fear Factory. And those guys made, you know what I mean? That's, I got to be a part of that. You know, I got to sing for Snot, which was like one of the greatest, you know, punk bands to come out during the new metal rap metal age, mm -hmm. you know, and they were like, I was a huge fan of them. So I've, I've, and I've seen the decline of congratulations. And now there's this whole culture and these young people who were, if you do anything that people like, fuck you. You know, they want you to be poor. You know, we can't all sound like Gorgoroth. We're not all going to be play songs like Venom. You know, we're not going to sound like Dillinger or Meshuggah and Periphery or Animals as Leaders or, you know, you know, every single one of these bands are great and they all have their place. But just because, you know, Candiria is a sick band, it doesn't mean that, you know, uh, that Nothing More is not a good band. Right. Nothing more and, is a great so, band. <laughs> but but what, what winds up happening in our culture is your your social credit score is based on your failure, your monetary failure. So if you can only pack if you if you can only pack a club with two hundred people and those two hundred people are super diehard, then it's you're like you're the shit. But you know, oh, God forbid, like, you know. Be very very careful you don't want to be playing big venues you don't want to have a song that gets on the radio because all of a sudden then you're a piece of shit mm -hmm. and so the problem with our culture where it's gone is people shame you for being good right and being good means accessible so you know bands like slipknot you know are they're one of the they're one of the biggest metal bands in world history Okay. You know, and, and Five Finger Death Punch is one of those bands too. These, you know, these bands get people hate on them. And like, wh what did you do? What what have you done? You know what I mean? Like, what have you done with you know what have you built? Yeah. And so all these people spend all this time, um, and it's a lot of frustrated musicians um, criticizing their favorite artists or artists that they don't like, and instead of spending that energy you should be, you know, you should get in the garage and you should be woodshedding on your guitar and blast beating on your drums and finding other people to play with and be unrelenting, you know, take that energy and be unrelenting in your pursuit for your voice and your music to be heard. And then we would have more good bands. And we don't have that. There's so, there's just so, you know, it makes me, it kind of makes me bum because part of me is like, Sometimes I'm like, wow, am I getting old because all this shit sounds the same? Or, you know, has technology debilitated originality, right? Like these kids can just, they just buy, they can just buy plugins and, and have the exact same sound as their favorite band and then go and literally make identical riffs as their favorite band. Whereas if you listen to Far Beyond Driven from Pantera and then you, you, you know, Pantera's number one influence is Kiss, they don't sound anything like his. Nope. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So yeah. like, we, so it's become like <clears throat> culturally, you know, I don't like, uh, you know, I, I, I understand the jealousy and I understand the frustration of not being heard because I've been a musician for 20 years and most of my career Nobody gave a fuck and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it. And then all of a sudden everybody gives a fuck, you know, and two things happen. If you're a real nigga and you say real shit, just because you, I, just cause I got up on stage and I like sang the cranberry song doesn't mean I won't knock you out. If you try to fight me, it also doesn't <laughs> mean that I'm not going to say real shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm an attempted murder survivor. I'm a sober drug addict. I grew up fighting on the street. I grew up, addicted to drugs i was a crack baby and abandoned in a hospital when i was born i've been through some real shit so every so and to, again to go to the cancel culture thing dude if we start digging up everybody's closets ain't nobody gonna be left 
Oh, you're not wrong. Who's going to be left? You know? Because, I mean, I've even... The people have even attempted to do it to me. And I'm still relatively small. I mean, I only... I, you know, I only get 50,000 per day on my, my episodes. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm still relatively small, you know, yeah, but, compared but to the millions also, out there. But but you also are doing something. Exactly. And that was and that was getting ready by my point. So I've had bands that I've had on this show go out there and hate on me for, you know, saying that my suicide story is a lie or saying that my bipolar is a lie or saying whatever the case might be, the stuff that I say is a lie. Okay, well, here's... Here's my question to that. Regardless of whether or not that is a lie or isn't a lie, and say, for instance, it is, a, it is all made up, which it's not, but I'm still out there helping bands every day, you know, promote themselves. I don't ask for anything in return ever. Never once have I asked for anything. And I've, you know, helped lots of bands make a name for themselves. And I've also helped, uh, you know, suicide survivors. I get countless emails every day. Sitting there saying, hey, thank you very much for telling your story, you know, because my suicide story is 100% real. And when people say that it's not, it pisses me the fuck off, um, but we won't go there. But, you know, that really bothered me. It's like I've never asked for anything from anybody. Every time I have a band on the show, I never say, hey, make sure you shout me out or, hey, make sure you post this. No, it's like whatever happens, happens. You know, if your PR person posts it, great. If not, I'm going to do it myself. That's what I always have done. It's That's just how yeah. I am. And people still try to shit on me. And it's like, what have I ever done to you people? And it, it and so it, it's, it really, really sucks. Um, so I feel well, I your pain on that. It's definitely like, what I will say is I've had to, I've learned to not take it personal. Right. And it's like, you know, in the, when, when the whole like uh, campaign against me to sh like cancel Tommy Vex went down. Yeah. The people that engaged with it were people who didn't know me. You know, there was a lot of people who like still do drugs, still party, hang out, want to be cool. And I don't hang out with those crowds. I don't fuck with those people. You know what I mean? And so, you know, sometimes you, you know, you realize the hard way. There's a whole other game in the music industry about getting people to like you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at that. You know, I'm not very good at, you know, um, because it, it honestly, it takes a lot of energy and I have so much dignity uh and self-respect that i'm like i'm just gonna be me and if you like me you like me you know i was on a tour last year and the singer of this band um one of the opening bands like he got drunk and came up to me in vegas at the craps table i was with dusty like you know dusty kills on craps and we're just hanging out and i had my merch girl's dog and whatever and he's like you know man like you don't you never hang out with me you never i'm like dude we finished the shows and you go to the bar and I go to bed and I wake up and I go to the gym. We don't, you know what I mean? Like in your mind, you've imagined that I don't like you because I don't live like you. And that's not fair. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, I, that's just how it is. Like, so there's a lot of like, you know, and it's, just, it's, I think it's the same thing with my former band members. They're like, they are buddies with a lot of, lots of people because they like to go drink and party and, you know, do drugs and whatever. I don't live that life, you know, so I'm not going to be popular with people. Um, but if you go, you know, if you go to re recovery places, everybody knows me. Yeah. You know, but I think so that's, just, that's... Where, it's just a byproduct of where you hang out and who really knows who you really are. Yeah. But I know? think at the end of the day, what you just said can be used in a positive way as well. Here, here's a great example. You know, a lot of the things that you say, especially about politics and stuff like that, you know, because I'm, I'm a student of politics as well, um, mm -hmm. just because I find it fucking fascinating. Um, oh, I don't yeah. I don't agree with a lot of the things you said and a lot of the things you, you have said over the last year. I just kind of made me go fucking Tommy Fext again. And I won't lie. But at the same time, I'm still a fan of yours. OK. Yeah. And we've sat here for the last 50 minutes having a conversation about life and cancel culture and stuff like this. And the stuff that, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't really matter because we're here to build a rapport or build to, we're here to make you, you know, you know, have a conversation about you and everything else. And we haven't gotten to an argument. We, I haven't, you know, sit there and said, well, you know, this or that, when I said I was moderate, you're like, Oh, well, you know, you're part of the problem. You didn't do any of that. And I think that's one of the problems that we're having in this country today is the moment anyone says, Oh, I disagree with you. You're instantly 
you instantly don't get liked or you're no longer no. friends or whatever the case might be. And that is one of the biggest issues we have right now. Yeah. And I think that, I think it's on both sides. I think the problem is, you know, I want to have engaging intellectual conversations with people who don't see and believe exactly like me, but I also want to have cordial intellectual conversations, mm -hmm. right? There's no need, like what, the emotions get involved involved when we are arguing on social media platforms. And I think it's because our, our platforms are avatars. So if you, if you observe human history or anthropology or tribalism, how humans interact with each other in a one-on-one, a -on -one, most of us wouldn't say these things to each other. Not because, not oh, I don't wanna get my ass kicked, but because we are empathetic beings. So if we're having a conversation and it gets heated and I start to realize, man, I, I think I've heard Derek's feelings. I need to like chill. Like I'm, I'm, you know, most of us naturally don't want to go to a place where we hurt another person mm -hmm. because we have empathy, because we can, because uh, we can look at each other and say, oh, like I, I recognize that what I'm saying and how I'm behaving is causing hurt to you. And, and I'm a good person and you're a good person and we should chill out. Exactly. The internet has taken that away and it's made a place where people say things that are horrible to each other without consequence. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think like, you know, I, I think in the future, people are going to abandon social media. I, I think so. in 50 years from now, I think we're going to, it's going to be gone because I, we're, we're already starting to evolve past it. It was, it's a very technologically advanced concept that humanity was not ready for. And now it's been turned into a weapon against us mm -hmm. to make us, you know, it's like, I call it digital mosh pit, right? It's just like, you know, you, you, you know, people are now fighting about Ukraine and Russia. They're like, okay, why, you know, they're like, well, Putin did this and they did this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what do you know about the history of the Soviet Union? What do you know about the rigged elections in Ukraine since 2004? What do you know about George Soros's intervention in the elections? What do you know about the 2014 Ukrainian elections? What do you know about the 11 biochem biochemical US laboratories that are doing gain of function studies on deadly viruses on the border of Russia in Ukraine, right? Now, also, Putin's a fucking maniac. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, Z and Zelensky is a, is a fucking incomprehensible scum. So my question is, is that if Godzilla and King Kong are fighting halfway around the world, why do I give a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Why are, should yeah. we send our troops over there to intervene in a situation that's been, that's not our business? Yeah, it's not. Because people want to make money out of war. They want to control, you know, Burisma is obviously a big cash cow for the Biden family. You know, they want to control energy. And now who's paying the price? We are, right? Gas is $7.25 in Los Angeles, a gallon now. It's a, it's insane. And it's all this stuff. Here, could have been, yeah. yeah. And, but we have, we have. More, we have more crude oil than any other country in the world, and they don't want to mine it and, and put the pipelines in so that we're self-sufficient, right? They're like, oh, get electric cars. I'm like, bro, people don't have $50,000 for electric cars. We're in a fucking Great Depression, and inflation is going higher and higher, and it's about to crash. Where are people supposed to get an extra $50,000 to switch to electric cars? Well, that's, you know? that's part of the issue is that, you know, uh, you know, I believe um, in, you know, fixing that issue because I'm not a big fan of the crude oil. I'm not a big fan of the pipelines. I'm not a big fan of, you know, because I do believe in um, global warming and I do see a lot of those different things. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely a science yeah. person as well. But yeah. the thing about there's it no is there's no denying the carbon footprint, you know, and it, it extends, you know, but it's also selective outrage. Like we're like. We have to cut down on the beef industry. Well, we also have to, we don't sanction China and Japan for leaving, you know, miles of plastic fishing nets that are killing the ocean. There's a garbage island of Chinese Japanese fishing nets in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there are certain, you know, the problem with the environmentalism is that because of the people in power who make money, 
they only sanction certain people and places, and that doesn't help the planet. Hell, there's a garbage island here in New York. You know, so yeah. I mean, it's 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 sad. But with when it comes down to like the electric car thing, you know, that's the biggest problem. They keep saying, "Well, we're going to do this, we're going to do this," and the, the the cost of electric cars aren't moving. They're they're if anything, they're going up. And right. you know, I was watching an interview earlier today with um, Elon Musk. I'm not sure from when it was. And they're like, well, when when is when are we going to get to the point where we have a twenty five or twenty thousand dollar car? And Elon's yeah. like, well, if we started working on it today and we worked every hour on it, it would probably take us three years. I'm like, dude, you're a smarter man than that. I know for a fact you could get it done in less than a year. Well, it's not it's not about intellect. It's about manpower. And like when you own businesses that are that large and scale, you have to also take into account a lot of these billionaire guys are like racing to space. Yeah, much they're spending all this money going to fucking space. Yep. You know, they could be they could be making affordable cars, but it's it's beyond that, you know. The what people also this is the really painful thing about the electric automotive industry that people don't understand is the carbon footprint from mining one car lithium battery is the equivalent of driving a 1989 Oldsmobile on diesel fuel for 16 years. And the ignorance that goes on with people like, oh, electric cars. I'm like, you don't, like, where does the battery come from? How is it mined? You know, and then who owns the, the majority of the lithium mines? China does. Yeah. Right. All throughout, they bought up, they've, they've co-opted European companies and under the guise of these European fronts, bought up most of the lithium mines in Africa. And now in Afghanistan as well, they're doing deals with the Taliban to, to obtain control and contracts over all the lithium so again it uh, the energy crisis and like how china is at the forefront of continuously disenfranchising america the american dollar um you know and i get i understand what they're doing but at the same time you know there's there's a long place solutions um that are not as simple as we'll just switch to electric cars and we'll make electric cars cheap, you know? Yeah, it, it's more complicated than that. I agree. I definitely agree with you on that. Um, but there's got to be a better way. And yeah, I, I, There I, needs I, to be a plan, too. There needs yeah. to be a time now plan. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I don't agree with, you know, again, either the right or the left's plan for it because it's um, – it, there isn't one. <laughs> it, it's just, well, yeah, it's just constant – yeah, this – yeah, they say one party is the party of bad ideas and the other party is the party of no ideas. <laughs> and then there's the rest of us just like, why is this so difficult, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and, a lot of... I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. Just go ahead. Oh, I was just saying a lot of the times when I think that politicians let problems persist because they have to run on the promise of fixing them. You know, so yeah. if there's nothing to fix, why would you change your vote? And you, know? you just said exactly what I was thinking and get ready to go. So I'm, I'm glad that you said that because that's what you just said um, is exactly what I was going to say. But that's the reason why I'm very, very moderate, because mm -hmm. what really, really bothered me. And I, and I told you before we started recording, I am a huge advocate for mental health and I'm a huge advocate for life and people and addiction and so on and so forth, just like yourself. And mm. watching the 2020 elections, we heard a lot of fluff, but mm. it was a lot of fluff that was dedicated to each other's party. And it was a lot yeah. of fluff that was, you know, hey, this is what the Republicans want to hear, so I'm going to say it. This is what the Democrats want to hear. This is all so I'm going to say it. But whatever happened to saying what the people need to hear? And I didn't hear a lot of that in 2020. One of the biggest parts of 2020 that's not talked about, and still to this day is not talked about, the fact that we had one of the highest suicide rates in this country in 2020. Mm -hmm. And the mental health rates were through the roof. Nobody mm -hmm. mentioned it. 2021. Nobody mentioned it. Even today, people still aren't more mentioning people, it. More people died of fentanyl overdose in 2021 than COVID. Period. Try to wrap your head around that. No made no not on the news, no made mention, nothing. You know, and then and then come this year, 
you know, as a, as a recovering addict to watch the Biden administration spend $30 million on meth and crack kits to distribute in inner cities is like, it's absolutely enabling and you're killing people, right? And so, and this is a man who is the father of a son who's a crackhead. And this is your best solution. You can clearly tell why Hunter Biden can't get his shit together or stay sober because his father is an, not only an incompetent president, but he's an incompetent father. And this is his best thinking is to, uh, you know, to take drug addicts who are on the street and then offer them free paraphernalia. With, with that amount of money, I just got an Amber Alert. <laughs> like the, every time I start to, it's like, oh, he started talking about real shit. Shut him down. Uh, you know, but with thirty million dollars, you know, you can you can open up, you know, public work stuff, and you can also do outreach programs, and you can also build facilities, you know, like like you know the Salvation Army or something like that, where you build co-ops for people who are homeless and or addicts, and a lot of veterans are are addicts and they're living on the street now. And you put them through a system where when they graduate out of the course, they get jobs working at the facilities. And then you create reciprocal economics in the, in the addict community where people who are having the experience and benefiting are able to take new people and put them through the same process. And then you start to create solutions. And the problem is, is that nobody wants to solve the problems because they run on the promise of solving them and never actually doing them. Yeah, I, no, I 100% agree with you. Uh, real quick before we move forward, um, do you have more time? Uh, yeah, I got a little, a little longer before I turn into a pumpkin. Okay, no, because the reason why I'm asking is I'm at my hour mark, but I'm going to turn this into a two-parter. Um, so let's just keep going. Yeah. Um, so real quick for everyone that's listening, come back again tomorrow. I know I said tomorrow's going to be a rerun, but no, come back for part two to, of Tommy Vexed tomorrow. All right, guys, and like I just said, come back again tomorrow for part two of Tommy Vexed. Man, this is just going to be an amazing episode, so just definitely check a look at it. But until tomorrow, stay happy, stay healthy, stay fucking heavy. We're going to close out with one more from Tommy Vexed. A little bit of an oldie. We've talked about it a lot, but here is Zombie. Silence, who are we mistaken?